0: tonight, a a study that I've entitled Living in the Supernatural. We as the body of Christ, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, by the way, which raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in creation, the same Holy Spirit that empowered the first century church to do miracles and signs and wonders, that Holy Spirit dwells within you. That same power is available in every area and every aspect of your life. And whether you think about it on a regular basis or not, we have actually been called by the Lord to live supernatural lives, empowered to do things that are actually impossible. You see, without the Lord, it's impossible to love your enemies, isn't it? Without the Lord, it is impossible to love those who persecute you and do evil against you. And so the Apostle Paul is now going to embark on a little tiny journey of a handful of verses to remind us of what that supernatural life actually looks like. As we pick up, we'll pick up in verse 9 tonight, just verses 9 through 13 and a huge tool chest full of things that we are to be and do as the body of Christ as we live in the supernatural. Would you pray with me? Father, tonight as we have come to your house, Lord, just expectant that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us, that you would take your word, make it alive, And God, as we hear it, as we listen, help us to obey, help us to do these things. Lord, help us to take doctrine and turn it into duty. Help us take learning and translate it to living. And so we give you this time, uh, use it however you see fit, we pray in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 9, it begins, Let love be without hypocrisy you're first going to see three things that are personal three things that are your personal duty and then three things that will follow after that that begin a long list of those things which are our duty to the rest of the people on this planet whenever you find the duties of a believer whenever you find living listed It always has to translate into action because it is what you do with what God has translated into your life that really matters. You can know about a lot of things, but if you do not use them, then they are like tools in a tool chest that have not been used and will just eventually rust away and be of no value at all. So it begins with three things for each of us to consider and to do. Let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Can I ask you a question? What does your life, what does your living tell other people about your Savior? What does your life and what does your living tell other people about our Savior? What do people know about God because they know you? What, would, what conclusion would someone come to from watching you live your life? What would they think about the God that you serve? It's a pretty important question, isn't it? Pretty important question, isn't it? Because if the great commission is to go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, if that's the great commission... You see, when you make disciples, you make followers. And followers are supposed to model the teacher. They're supposed to imitate someone who's teaching them how to be that way. If that's you, then you have been called to be every last one of these things. It's not just about knowing God's grace. That's the essential first step. It's by faith believing. But once you believe, it's living. And it's a supernatural life. You see, there's a lot of things that we can do with our time, amen? We live in the most gratified society that's ever existed on the face of the earth. As I drive home and go down PCH, I could probably stop 200 times before I get home and pick up some kind of fast food, go into some market and get some treat. I mean, I could die of Twinkiedom before I got home. I can stop in and pick up parts for my truck. I could go to, I think there's three CVSs now and a couple of supermarkets, all manner of stores. There's a dozen pet shops. I can get donuts. I can get boiled crab if I want to on the way home. We live in the most self-satisfied and graciated group of human beings that have ever existed on the planet Earth. And I'm not suggesting to you that all those things are, are wrong. I'm asking you a question. Where are your priorities? What are you doing with the Spirit of God that's been placed within you? Because there's a lot of things to do with your time. We, we have not one, not two, but three major sports going on, right? Now. Actually, we have four because we have hockey season coming up. But you can watch a hockey game and a basketball game and an NFL game, and you can watch the Dodgers who are currently slaughtering the Cubs right now. (laughs) More about that later. (laughs) When we win the pennant. But there's a lot of things you can do with your time, amen? There's all kinds of things. Our first thought should be, Jesus, what am I doing for you today? And to that end, are we living in the supernatural? Are we being a persuasive, a very effective example of who Jesus is in this world? Are we following the principles and the practices of the world? Are we following the principles and the practices of the Lord? And so he begins by opening up a list of three things first that are personal practices. There are things that you and I uh, need to put into play and into practice. Because it, it really is exactly as Teddy Roosevelt wisely said the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, safety first instead of duty first. The love of living lives pleasing self. We, We need to please the Lord. What does he want from us? How do we do this? The first thing or three things that you and I need to practice as individuals. The first one, let love be without hypocrisy. And to abhor evil, and to cling to what is good. And so the first thing is to love without hypocrisy. Now, many of you, most of you, probably almost all of you, actually know what love looks like if you know Jesus, because love looks like the outstretched arms of the Savior on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what self-sacrificial love looks like, because Jesus showed it to you. But here's a little add-on to this practice that we are supposed to be engaged in, because he says, you know what it is, but do it without hypocrisy. Now, the Greek word here that's translated hypocrisy is hypocrites, And it was used in the theater as a way of describing an actor. And at that time, they didn't have makeup artists. They didn't have staging, they didn't have wonderful lighting, they didn't have the things that we have today. So a Greek actor very often put on a mask, and the mask determined what character they actually were. In other words, another way to look at this is, is your love two-faced? You see, a Greek actor would have two, three, sometimes four different faces. And so if he was playing the the character of one of the Greek gods, he could flip it around, and there he was. And at that moment, he was Zeus. And men played women. Maybe he'd turn it around, and he'd be Persephone. He was multifaced. He was two-faced. He was a hupokrites. He was an actor. And so Paul begins by saying, make sure that your love is not acting. That's an owie, isn't it? Because sometimes our love absolutely is not genuine. It's an act. It is the very thing that Jesus warned the Pharisees about. He said, you hypocrites, you blind guides. He says, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. You said, you can paint a grave all you want, and there's still a dead dude inside. It's still unclean. Let your agapeo, your agape love, which came from Jesus into your life, that you were to share with others as you trans- translate the, the Great Commission into action in our world, as you're sharing the love of Christ with people, let that love not be hypocritical. Don't let it be two-faced. Let your righteousness, he's saying, be real. You see what the Lord reminded the Pharisees of as he was chastising them again. He said, look, you can boil this whole thing down to love God and love people. Love God, love people. Love is more important in your life than any other spiritual gift. Can I tell you that? Your Bible says so, by the way. Now abide in these, Paul says, 1 Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. Now abide in these, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. John in his letters would say, go so far as to take it all the way that God himself is love and he who does not love is not of God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? So make sure that your love is real. That's a personal duty to you and to me. We need to make sure our love's real. A second thing, These are duties. You need to take your doctrine, what you know, and turn it into what you do. These are duties. Amen? They're things we do. They're things we do. They're not things we know. They're ways we live. This is supernatural. Because you know what? Sometimes my love can get hypocritical. And you know what I'm saying? You're walking down the hallway. Oh, praise the Lord. You're not praising the Lord. You're mad at God. You're being dishonest with people, being dishonest with God. Let your love be without hypocrisy, and then he says, and also, you have a duty to hate evil, and here's why. We are to love what God loves, and we are to hate what God hates. God hates evil. The fear of the Lord, beginning with wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is to also. Proverbs eight thirteen says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil to hate it now here's the problem sometimes we don't hate evil all that much matter of fact not only do we not hate evil we kind of entertain evil we allow evil to come in sometimes even the front door not just the back door sometimes we allow evil to camp in our living room it's called a television Sometimes that evil dwells on your cell phone. Maybe in the magazine that you read. Might be at the movie you're going to go watch. Could be in that moment that you think nobody's with because you you're on vacation. So your hatred of evil descends to a new low. When your hatred for evil descends to a new low, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Your hatred for evil should be the same hatred that God has for it. That means you hate lying. You hate thievery. You hate people who wrongly judge. You hate evil. You hate evil. Are you an evil hater? Or do you kind of play with it? My last trip down to Nicaragua, which, by the way, I'll be in Belize next week, so please pray for me. I'm doing a pastor's conference. i got a whole bunch of people coming. Pastor Greg's going to be teaching next Thursday night. It's going to be awesome. But when I was in Nicaragua, one of the, you know, I didn't really know it when I went down there, but they got a lot of jaguars there, and I'm not talking about cars. I'm talking about the kind to eat you. And they had this cage, and it said on there, please don't play with the jaguar. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of a stupid thing to have to put on a fence. I really hadn't thought about playing with the jaguar. But you know what? I sat and watched that fence. And I got to admit, as I watched people go by, they're kind of like sticking their fingers in there, and they're like playing with the jaguar. And they all got away with it. You know what happened to me? I thought, I'm going to try that. (laughs) Except me being me, I got down on my hands and knees, and I'm going, I want to get a good look at this here jaguar. I got my cell phone on. I'm video, I'm taking the video of this jaguar. I'll have to show, I didn't put it up, but next time we'll put it up for you. I'm down on my knees, and I'm in there, and I'm like, playing with evil because that thing wanted to eat me and you know what evil did i don't know what his name was i'm calling him evil (laughs) evil the jaguar first he started out there in the back of the cage and then he's kind of like he was doing his little his jaguar purr i didn't know jaguars could purr but they can purr just like a regular house cat they're also evil by the way And I get up really close. And I'm like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. I figured that'd work, you know. And he just kind of like nuzzled up against the fence. And he turned around and put his rear end towards me. And then he turned around and jumped at the, I almost had a heart attack. Because I thought evil was going right through the fence. You see, that's what evil does. Evil lures you in. And it pretends it's nice. And then before you know it, if there weren't a little Holy Spirit fence of the Lord right in front of you, you'd get devoured by evil. You need to hate evil. You need to treat it like it's going to kill you. Because that's actually its intent. Satan does not mean you good. Satan means you harm we must hate evil you see really what it boils down to is evil is the antithesis of holiness when you think about in relationship to god that which is evil because god hates it it's the exact opposite of his nature and so we're supposed to hate it please in jesus name don't play with it i don't want to be really careful because i don't want to put you in bondage we're not talking about somebody who's struggling somebody who's really fighting against it, and maybe they're not as victorious as they can be. It's a mindset of how you think about evil. It's you saying, you know what? I, Man, I'm so struggling with this thought. I'm so struggling with this behavior, but I really hate it. I hate the fact that I even think about that. That is actually the Holy Spirit at work in you, giving you supernatural living. But when you say, nah, it's not really all that bad, You're in deep trouble. In Jesus' name, hate evil. We must, we have to. The scriptures are filled with passages that admonish us to abhor, to hate. Uh, David went so far as to say, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. I don't even want to know about it. And I want you to notice a couple of things that David's really famous for in the fact that that he understood it, but yet he got caught up in it every once in a while. You know what he wasn't doing when he was sitting on his rooftop looking at Bathsheba? He was not hating evil, even though he knew he needed to hate evil. He for a moment said, well, you know, maybe it's not all that bad. But when he penned the very first psalm, gave us a little picture there in that. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not even going to walk that way. Or stand in the path of sinners. It's one thing to walk, right? Because you can keep right on walking. But it's another thing to stop and go, hmm, you know, I don't know if this is all that bad or not. But you know the way it ends? Or sit in the seat of the scornful. You see, you go from walking to standing to sitting. That's not a good way to hate evil. You need to walk away. You need to do what James Ford admonishes us to do. And that is to draw near to God. Submit yourselves to God. Draw near to him. You need to resist the devil, and he will flee. You can't flirt with it. If you flirt with it, you're going to fall into it. You need to make the law of the Lord your delight. The third thing that's personal. You have to hold on to good. I love this verb. It, it's kolau. It comes from kola, and, and what it means is to be glued. It's, it's a bond, and it's an unbreakable bond. It means you put things together with some substance. Have any of you ever used gorilla glue? In Jesus' name, don't spill that stuff on anything you don't want glued to something else. <laughs> Especially the old stuff. The old stuff was really good and it kind of foamed, you know. You, but you take Gorilla Glue, and you, you could put a couple of bricks together, and you need a jackhammer to get them bricks apart. That's the picture. It's exactly what's being said. We need to be glued to good so the good becomes us. You ever think about that? so glued to God, so glued to his word, so glued to Jesus that if you tore you away from God, it would destroy you. Hold on to what is good. And in this case, good means godly, righteous, holy. You you, you see, it is that agathos, which is inherently right. It's worthy of praise. You're to be glued to that which is worthy of praise. Ultimately, who alone is worthy of praise? God. So anything that points people to God, glue yourself to that. Anything that doesn't point people to God, don't glue yourself to that and in fact hate it. It's actually pretty simple, isn't it? Love God and people supremely, hate that which is evil, and glue yourself to To the Lord. That's a way to live supernaturally. Now, when you think about these things, really what it boils down to, if you want something to get really glued together, you kind of saturate yourself in whatever it is that you're gluing substance. You want to be saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to immerse yourself in the Holy Spirit. You want to be sucking in so much Holy Spirit. Most of you have done some form of osmosis experiment, probably in the third, fourth, or fifth grade. You remember that where you put the colored water in a glass of water and you took a stick of celery and you stuck it in there and all of a sudden you got yourself a nice red celery stick. You see, when you immerse yourself in something and then the process whereby you take and put on, begins to work, you're you're putting on what you're immersed in. So this is saying, immerse yourself in that which will glue you to God so that ultimately what is glued together looks exactly like what it's glued to. Saturate yourself in Jesus and then get so close to Jesus that people cannot tell whether it's you or Jesus. Got it? It's actually really simple. You get that by being a student of the Word. You get that by doing what we're doing tonight, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, praising and praying and giving and studying his Word. That's what happens. You're getting closer to Jesus. You're immersing yourself in his character and his nature, and you're getting right up next to him so that he sticks to you and you stick to him, and there's no room for evil in there in your life. There isn't any room. There's so much of you and Jesus, there's no room for the devil. That's the real essence of resisting. Saturate yourself in Jesus and his word. He moves on to a whole list. Actually, there's 10 of them here, and I think we can cover them fairly quickly. 10 things that then become the outflow of doing those first three things. You see, if you love God, if you absolutely cling to that as what is good, and you absolutely hate what is evil, then here's what you get to do with it. Be devoted in brotherly love. You see, it's one thing to have agapeo in you. It's another thing to have agapeo out of you. Brotherly love, and the word here, Philadelphia, is that type of love that's, that's family love. It's collegiate love. It's the love of brothers and sisters because we're the family of God. This is saying, look, if someone really loves God, then they're going to love the brothers and sisters. You, You see, we then are devoted to that kind of love. Now, I don't know how many brothers and sisters you have. I have a brother and a sister that were born by my parents, and then I have five stepbrothers and sisters. So when we were living in our little house in Santee, Um, We had a three-bedroom house. Obviously, my parents occupied one bedroom, so that left eight eight kids and two bedrooms. You had to have brotherly love. (laughs) Otherwise, there'd be brotherly death. You had to learn to get along. You were in that same space. You had to think about what you were doing. And in the same way, we need to love each other as the body of Christ. But you know what? Not everybody's love a bull, amen? That's why we're supposed to love people that don't love us back. You see, this kind of love is not the kind of love that the world teaches. The kind of love the world teaches is when you can't get anything out of someone, stop loving them. Move on, do what's best for you. This love says, love them in spite of what they do. Matter of fact, even when they do evil, Love them. You love them right back into that brotherly love. A second thing, prefer one another in honor. Now, I want you to look at these things. Anybody in here kind of selfish? My hands up. Ultimately, I do kind of think of, yeah, some people have both hands up. Amen, I feel your pain if you think you don't think about yourself first, you are deluded. Because most of the time we do. And to some degree, it's actually a protection mechanism God ingrained it into. We have to love our own selves. Paul said that. But when that love of self is the first thing you think of, it's in the wrong place. That love of self has a place. It's what keeps you alive, by the way. It's the reason you go grab a meal. It's the reason you get up in the morning and go to work. You kind of want to have a house to live in. That's love of self. It's the right kind of love. But that love can become preeminent. So what Paul is saying here is love other people with honor. In other words, honor them with your love. That means to lift them up, to, to exalt them. It, it, it's humility in action. It's the virtuous part of love that says, I care so much about you that if it means something to me to, to, to have to die, it's being other-centric. I, I, will, I will give myself to the nth degree for you. No place is that seen greater than in marriage and in child-rearing. If you're here and you're a parent, you know that that's true. You know, you moms, that first couple of years that your children are alive, there's a lot of reasons to just kind of leave them in the bedroom until they get to 12. (laughs) It's called diapers. It's like, I mean, there's nothing in it for you, is there? It's like, oh, he's hungry again. Oh, I've got to feed him again. I've got to change him again. I've got to wash this. and so wash that. It's like completely endless the amount of things that you need to do to make, it, make sure that your children reach adolescence. You don't do that because you, you, I hope you don't do it. You keep a little book. You owe me. Because if you got paid for every hour you work, you know, there's actually a study done. It's over $175,000 per child that your children owe you. Give them that bill you got zero chance of getting it back, okay? And that, by the way, was based on minimum wage. So what was it for you? Love. Love, that's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Have that kind of honor and that kind of love for one another. Don't lack in diligence or don't lag in diligence. Not lagging and not lacking are one and the same. You need to have a lot of it, and you need to do it. You need to get out and actually just do it. You know, sometimes people talk a lot about their Christian walk, but they actually don't do it. They don't go bless people. They don't look to be used of the Lord. You want to, as Galatians 6 and and 2 Thessalonians remind us, you want to be good to all men especially those who are of the household of faith. You want to actually be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. You don't want to be self-deceived. You want people to know that you love Jesus. That happens by being diligent. You know, when Pastor Alex was saying we need, we need some people for lighting and sound, we're trying to train people up because we believe that the Bible teaches servant evangelism. That us getting engaged together in the work of the ministry is a way that we can lead people to Christ. And so the reason we want people at the soundboard and lighting and cameras and all those things that we have to do around the church is not because we're looking for free labor. We could hire somebody. It's part of us working together in the Lord's work. It's part of who we are. It's diligence in the things of the Lord. Too many people come to church looking for something instead of to give something. Look to give yourself away. Be diligent in that area of service. Be fervent in spirit, it says, the fourth one. You know, as I was listening to you guys worship, the word here, zueo, means to actually boil over. It means to have something that's so internally available that it causes something to happen. It's not just boil over like you're mad. It's boil over like you're a steam locomotive. Up where my brother-in-law and his wife live up in, in Oakdale, outside of there in Jamestown, some of the mining towns, there's a train museum. If you've ever seen a steam engine begin to roll down the tracks the the engineer gets on the train and they start stoking up the fire in the firebox and it takes a while for the pressure in the boiler to get up to speed but man once it's going you can't stop that thing it's like that it's as if within you the holy spirit has built up a fire and that fire now is is producing that incredible amount of steam that has some place to go. And the Lord wants to lay down some tracks and send you on a mission. Fervent in the work of the Spirit, a locomotive that can't wait to get out of the station for God. Fervent in Spirit. God, whatever you want to do, wherever you want me to go, I want as Paul said, I want to run as someone who runs with an aim, with a goal. I don't want to box at the air. I, I want what I do to matter. And all brothers and sisters, if we as the church were filled with that fervent zeal for the Lord, who could stop us? Seriously. Who could stop us? A fifth thing. He pencils it down. Just a little. service to the Lord. In serving the Lord. This is taking that devotion. This is taking that fervency. This is taking that diligence and now doing something active with it. Actually picking a task and applying yourself to it. Service to the Lord. It's saying, look, I can do that. You know, I I can't teach. I don't really know that I've been called to do that, but I can bake cookies. You know, we give away to the United States Marine Corps thousands of cookies every month. Thousands. Dwight and the team goes down to Camp Pendleton. They take all these incredible... It's like, I go into a coma just smelling going down the hallway. He pulls out a couple, a couple of snickerdoodles, and I'm gone. But fervent, take that and, and now turn it into service. Do something with it. And, and people always say, well, you know, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do That's what I hear. I can't do, I'm not gifted in this, I'm not gifted in that, I can't do this. Do you know just loving people is a gift? You can serve the Lord by just loving people. Wander around the hallways and find somebody who looks like they're having a bad day and put the love of Jesus on them. It's not that hard. Maybe for the introverted person, that's a little difficult, so let me give you something to do. There's always trash in our parking lot. Serve the Lord. Wander around. Say, you know what? This is God's house. I'm going to pick that trash up. That's serving the Lord. It doesn't have to be a five-point Bible study. Giving of your time, your talent, your treasure, your service to the Lord is as easy as saying, I can do this. I want to do it for Jesus. We have so many areas that you can serve in this church, it's almost mind boggling. We have over 50 different ministries here, five zero. We have hundreds of missionaries in the field. They could use some letters of encouragement. We have missions trips every month. We need more people to go. See what I'm saying? So you may not be able to go into the mission field yourself, but you can go on a missions trip. Or maybe you can just pay for somebody else to go. That also is service. The sixth thing, rejoice in hope. You see, we get to rejoice. Here's this cool thing. We get to rejoice. I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you. I'm rejoicing. I'm going to heaven. But I also get to do that rejoicing in hope. My, my, My life verse, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's rejoicing in hope. There's an end to all this striving. There's an end to this living. There's an end to this stuff. And the whole time we're here, we get to rejoice in the Lord Jesus. But I'm also rejoicing in hope that I'm going to go home one day. And for some of us in this room, it's going to be sooner rather than later. And I'm not bumming you out. Look, if you love Jesus, your reward is waiting for you. It's not like, a, oh, man, I'm going to die. It's like, awesome, I get to die. That's the way we look at it. As believers in Christ Jesus, this is as bad as it gets. It gets better from here, okay? So I do my rejoicing in the hope that every day that I'm on this planet, I'm one day closer to Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's supernatural. You see, the world says, you're crazy, you were nuts. You're out of your mind. Look what you're missing. I mean, there's a whole lot of beer out there that you're not drinking. I'm going, I, I'm going to party with Jesus. I don't know why, what you're doing, but... And he finally says, persevere in tribulation. Can I tell you, things aren't going to go smoothly all the time. So you have to persevere in those times of trouble. Whatever its form, whatever its severity, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I need patience. So God lets me get into situations that are going to test it every once in a while. Persevere, push on, move forward. Allow God to do amazing things in your life. You have to persevere in tribulation so many tri- so many people and, and this is one of the one of the things that we always deal with with people who are young in ministry and their ministry experience the first time a real trial comes you're thinking wow if i just get out of the ministry cuz you know that you're being tested by the devil you know he's trying to put you through the ringer. so the choice is yours are you going to persevere are you going to give up? He's saying, look, supernatural living is you persevering. It's you getting up. It's you going after that broken relationship. It's you trying to fix that marriage that seems irrevocably destroyed. It is you saying, look, I stumbled last week in, in alcohol, but I'm going to be victorious this week. It's persevering. He's saying, I, I, I used to be a drug addict, and all of a sudden I'm having these thoughts, and this guy came over, and it's an old party buddy, and and I blew it. But you're not going to let that defeat keep you down. You're going to persevere. You're going to move on. You're not going to be anchored to the past. You're going to be looking to the future and say, my hope is in heaven. We have to persevere, family. We have to persevere. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus wasn't joking when he said that. He was like, oh, I'm just messing with you. Actually, everything's going to be totally fine. He was saying that to the disciples. They lost their lives for the cause of the gospel. They died preaching Christ. In this world, you will have tribulation. But isn't it awesome what he followed that up with? Do not fear, for I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen? So you push on, you persevere. And then he went on to say, if that wasn't enough, he said, well, I've defeated the world. But he says, you know what? I'm going to my father's house. And in my father's house are many mansions. And were it not so, I would have told you, But it is true. And guess what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's awesome. So you persevere. Look, Jesus is working on your mansion, okay? Everybody that's gone on before you, I don't know what we do. People always ask me these kind of crazy questions. Like, what are we going to do in heaven? I don't know. Nobody sent me a memo from heaven and said, when you get here, you're going to do this, 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 and this. I have all kinds of things that I think about. I personally want to be able to fly, and I'm not talking about in a plane, just me and flying. I don't know, but there are some things that we do know. I go to prepare a place for you. That's the words of Jesus. So there's obviously some preparation that's going on in heaven for your arrival. You ever watch the housing track get done? If you've ever bought or looked at new houses when they're getting, you know when they first start doing the dirt work and all those kind of things, there's, it's a lot of mess. And then the foundations get poured, and then they, the ground plumbing's in, and well, the utilities are run. Then the walls start to go up, and then before you know it, they're putting the siding, whatever kind it is, on the outside, and they begin to sheetrock the things. And and you get down to the last little bit. And if you've ever bought a, a house in a housing tract. Before they're done, you get to walk in and you get to go around the house and go, oh man, this is going to be awesome. I can see my, my couch right there. Start thinking about heaven that way. I can see my couch in the house that Jesus is preparing for me. Because that's what's going on right now while you're persevering. While you're having a tough day, Jesus is preparing your palace, your mansion, your dwelling place. And he's got a huge flat screen. It's like a people cave, it's not a man cave, it's like a people cave. Persevere in tribulation he says. Then he goes on and says, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. It's a Greek word, proskareru and what it actually means is to lean so strongly towards, it's like gravitation. It's like I'm drawn to prayer. I'm drawn to the Lord. I'm sucked in by the sphere of his influence, and I always want to talk to him. It's having the phone on hands-free mute constantly. The line's open, and I'm drawn to talk to God. Devoted to prayer. That's heavenly living. That's supernatural living. It's a prayer life that doesn't just go to God when things are wrong, doesn't just go to God when there's a need, doesn't just go to God when there's some kind of problem that you need to solve. But you're talking to God constantly. I have some crazy conversations with God. I talk to God all the time, and I know that somebody saw me if they could actually read my mind. They're going, wow, oh, he's weird. I'm like Lord. I, I ask God which street to go down when I'm driving. I'm dead serious as a heart attack. I'm driving it's like Lord. Should I go down Carson? Should I turn? You know, go down Sepulveda? Which you know, Lomita? What do I do? You know, Lord. I'm just talking to God about silly things, seemingly, because you know what? He knows everything and I don't. He knows everything and I don't. Why wouldn't I want to miss traffic? you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss so i'm asking him which street to go down i know that maybe that's new news to you but i'm telling you that's the kind of gravitational force that god has by the power of the holy spirit to draw you to him if you are willing to be drawn if you're willing to let god suck you into his sphere of influence to where you're just communicating It's rather like Connie and I. She finishes my sentences. We're sitting down. She'll ask me, where do you want to go to eat? And I don't even, she hasn't finished the question. I'm saying, I'll just go to Red Onion. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know why that is? Because we're linked together. The two became one, and we kind of think the same. You want that with God. You want to talk to him so much that you can have him complete your sentences because you want his will to be done, not yours, amen? Amen. You want him completing yours, not the other way around, (laughs) amen? Don't tell God what to do, that's a bad thing. Do not nag the Lord, it never works. But you want to be sucked in by the gravitational pull of the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when you're in that space, you and God are like this. You want that kind of prayer life. You want to be devoted to it. You don't want to just do it every once in a while. You don't want to do it at just a certain time of the day. That's why Paul, as he was writing there in the church at Thessalonica, there in the first letter, in chapter 5, he said, pray without ceasing. Amen? Pray and never cease is what it literally renders in the original language. In other words, you start praying, and as long as you're here, you don't stop praying. Now, it doesn't mean that you quit driving when you're on there. none of that, you know. So do not get down on your knees when you're driving. <laughs> Be very careful about how literally you take what I'm saying there. But it's the, it, it put the thing on speakerphone, hands-free, and, oh, by the way, speed dial. Amen? So in case you get disconnected, it's like re-rings automatically. You do those things, oh man, are you going to be living supernatural? Because none of these things are natural. It's all supernatural. You start living that. People are going to look at you. Remember where we started? What do people know by watching you? You're praying without ceasing. You're devoted to prayer. You persevere in tribulation. You're living a life that's so abnormal compared to the world. They're going, there's something really, really different about you. You go through that trial. You go through that test, and people are going, how in the world are you calm in the middle of this storm? Because I know the one who can calm the storm. Right? Supernatural. That's not normal. It's supernatural. Last two things. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Ever thought about this? And by the way, you've already had an opportunity to do that tonight. We see needs, we simply fill them here. Now, I'm going to say something right now. And it is only for the Lord's glory. We give away roughly one-tenth of every dollar that comes into this church. Just so you know what that is, that's the better portion of a million dollars a year. We give it away. It doesn't stay here. It goes to needs all over the world. Some of that's in the form of sending teams as missionaries. Some of that is churches in India. Some of that we're building a church in Haiti uh, here in a few weeks. We have a team going to the Philippines. We've already looked into purchasing a church for the, the body there in the Philippines. We give it away. That's the needs. They can't afford it themselves, but we have it and we need to give it away because a stingy church God will not bless, because God loves cheerful givers. So we need to take that very seriously. This last year, we have given to Haiti, Liberia, Uganda, india the philippines greece nicaragua belize mexico peru ireland colombia guatemala el salvador puerto rico turkey houston texas venice california and i could go on a little more you guys gave to the hurricane effort in puerto rico you guys gave to the hurricane effort in houston you were faithful. That's distributing to the needs of the saints. We need to take that very seriously. So when somebody says, well, you know, can we, can we have another barbecue? We have a lot of barbecues. We do that too. But you know what? I'd rather take care of somebody who has need. So we'll have a barbecue at our baptism on Saturday. We combine dunking and eating interesting because the word contributing there is exactly the same word as koinonia. You are literally one with the Lord, and he is one with the rest of the body, and because of that, when we see a need, how can we harden our hearts towards it? We must give. Must. And then finally, practice hospitality. He ends this long string with really two things that kind of seem at the end like, "Eh, is that really all that important? Yes, it's really all that important. It's extremely important. And I want you to understand something. We can do this together, we need to help each other do this, we need to love the Lord. We, we need to, to watch God do amazing things in our lives. And if we live like this, we're going to turn the world upside down. It's crazy what the Lord could have us do around the world, right here in our own backyard. I know, by the way, we minister to the needs of homeless people here. We give constantly. We have a food bank that's open every single day. So we're ministering to the needs of people here too. But that's all because we live supernaturally. There's nothing in it for us. I'll give you a little secret. If I went to Liberia, those churches that are planted there in Liberia, which is now there's 11 of them. There was 10 two months ago. There's now 11. Another one got planted. Not one of those pastors would know who I am. They've never met me. I've never met them. But God's at work. That's a supernatural thing. We need to live supernatural lives. Amen? Would you stand? We're going to close in prayer. Worship team's going to come back up. We're going to have the prayer team come forward. And maybe you just want to pray with somebody about getting involved, getting busy. Some pastors come forward, please do that. But it's fun to live supernatural lives. Let's do it together. Amen? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for ministering to us, Lord. And these things would be impossible without you doing it. We recognize that, and we pray tonight that you would work mightily by your Spirit, Lord, to cause us to live lives that reflect your glory. Lord, in those areas where we're weak, and we need to be strengthened, strengthen us. Where we're strong, and we can encourage others, help us to do that. Lord, we ask you to bless us. We ask you to give to us so that we can give. We ask you to strengthen us so that we can have strength for the weak. We ask you to do in us mightily, to will and to do your good pleasure. We're grateful, God, for your goodness. Help us, Lord, to live these things out. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people all said, amen.